You know Geiger's bookstore across the street? I think I may have passed. You know Geiger by sight? Geiger's in his early 40s, medium height, fattish, soft all over, Charlie Chan mustache, well-dressed, wears a black hat, affects the knowledge of antiques and hasn't any. And, oh, yes, I think his left eye is glass. Hello. 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 My name is Michael Delgado, and tonight my guest is the L.A.-based artist Don Edler. Trained in the 3D arts as well as filmmaking, Edler has been producing large-scale sculpture and videos while supporting himself in the film industry for over 10 years. I came across his video, Devil You Know, on the Hunter Shaw Fine Art website. I was transfixed. I was incredibly moved, maybe even disturbed, while watching Devil You Know. The video is about AI, artificial intelligence deep fakes, and the appearance of supposed truths that are presented as political discourse. The video makes your head spin, severing all ties to the anchors of a reality you think you know and trust. It's spot-on timely, and as such, powerfully disquieting. In the video, we watch two actors in mid-shot or close-up. They read from a computer-generated text. Filters dissect the images, and words from the script scroll across the screen. Like the seductive voices of Alexa and Siri, its delivery is mundane, but it's also somehow riveting. As I mentioned, in addition to filmmaking, Edler's practice has involved making objects. His sculpture, large-scale tablature in bas-relief, is made of society's detritus. I'll give you an example. The piece titled Franconia Tablet lists its materials as scrap plywood, tattered American flag, Use tools, prop bones, iPhone, security locks, sunglasses, screws, broken glass, plaster, salvage paint, and recycled candle wax. The bits of our day-to-day, -day, flotsam and jetsam, are jumbled in a plaster batter, but the objects are arranged in a manner that suggests the glyphs of a secret lexicon. In the case of the Franconia tablet, the piece is placed in a shallow cutout in the field of the Franconia sculpture garden as if it had been recently excavated. The through line from an interest in cast-off bits of ourselves as imprints of some forgotten or alien language to the theme of truth as unknowable seems related, but I was curious how he saw the two disciplines. Were they in fact related, or was filmmaking a preferred practice? His answer kind of surprised me, and it gives us an insight into just how deeply Edler ponders his own work and methods. I guess the the way I'll start by answering that is kind of uh, talking about, like, how I wound up moving to L.A. Um, I was living in New York for seven years, making art out there. I went to school out there um, and kind of formally trained as a sculptor for the most part. Um, I had originally gone to film school but wasn't able to afford that anymore, so I had to go to a sort of state school, the University of Florida. and um, they didn't have a film program, so I, I wound up getting into sculpture because while I was studying film, I was looking at a lot of artists that were making film and sculpture sort of side by side, so it seemed like a natural progression. Uh, but then after a couple of years of living in New York, um, I actually started getting some... I was working in film and TV production because I found it to be more lucrative than any art world work. Um, right. And I... I yeah, started getting some work in L.A. 
Um, and I really liked it out here. And I, I was thinking more and more about my relationship to American media, um, the American media industry. I think that includes everything from Hollywood to CNN um, and all the sort of time-based media in between. And I, it occurred to me that I was getting more and more interested in Hollywood and its sort of presence and influence on the global cultural production scene, uh, or at least especially the Western sort of cultural production behemoth uh, that dominates the United States and Europe, um, and I would argue parts parts of the rest of the world as well. Um, and I, I wanted to be closer to that, so I, I ultimately decided to move out here um, thinking that it would make sense for my practice to, to somehow be closer to the um, one, what I saw is sort of one of the um, origin points of a lot of the media that I was consuming. I also grew up watching Hollywood movies and find them to be a huge influence on me. Um, and I, I see a lot of cultural value in them um, and have, you know, studied them pretty closely. And uh, a lot of, I think a lot of people often dismiss them as being some sort of pop consumer product, and they definitely are that, but I, I think that their their presence is more deeply felt um, throughout our culture at large. Uh, so that's how I wound up here, and um, I, as I had said, was had sort of had this formal training in sculpture, and when I first came out here, I, I was able to get a really big, cheap studio in Pico Union, uh, which was a dream to me, because uh, coming from New York, it was almost impossible to afford a studio, let alone a studio big enough to make sculpture. Um, so I suddenly had a big studio, and I, I felt a lot of pressure to, to utilize that and make sculpture. And uh, relatively quickly, I was kind of making big sculpture again. I started to, like, wonder about why I was making that work here, because it it seemed to not really be related to my like interests in Hollywood and media production, uh, like mass media production that I was speaking to earlier. Um, and ultimately, I, I started to, to question my relationship to material consumption um, and resource consumption in relationship to the work that I was making, uh, thinking about like the ecological impact of buying all these cheap toxic products from big corporations like Home Depot and making work with them that at the same time was somehow supposed to criticize or, or critique or uh, comment on this, like, problem of capitalism and ecological well-being. Uh, so I felt like there was this big contradiction in the work that was starting to, to bug me. And I still appreciate that work and feel really engaged with it, but I, I decided to try and dematerialize my practice. Um, and step away from making these materially resource-heavy projects and start to work more directly with something that, uh, like video, which, in my opinion, potentially used less resources, uh, took up less space, didn't require me paying for a storage unit to store them, and uh, ultimately could be more broadly and democratically shared. Um, I started to question the exclusivity of of the sculptural object, both in terms of only a limited number of people being able to physically see it uh, at a gallery at any given time and the idea of it 
ultimately becoming a luxury consumer product for wealthy people to buy. Most recently, dedicating himself to filmmaking, Edler's piece, Devil You Know, grew out of a long-form experimental video from 2019 titled Production of Information. Following several months of deep research into extremist websites from both the far left and far right, Edler lifted text from these politically charged sites and assembled scripts. He then paid actors to read them on camera. Edler was interested in how an actor's take on the script would alter the meaning of the text. He was also equally enamored of the idea of utilizing the tools of mass media production in a commentary on media itself. But I'll let him explain. I spent a couple of months doing research on these sort of politically polarized texts, looking at things from the from everything from the far right side of the internet to the far left of the internet. And um, I took these political texts and I turned them into screenplays. And then I, I organized a casting call uh, and paid working actors to come in and do script readings for the camera of these political texts. I was interested in how a different actor could embody any kind of text or language and give it a different affect, um, depending on how they presented the text. Uh, how they read it, what accent they used, what kind of gestures they used, their their physical body and their appearance, how all these uh, different factors would influence the way the the content of the of the script was presented and read and felt by the audience. Um, and that, to me, was a really successful project. Uh, I wound up showing it as part of a show that I had in 2019, and uh, it it felt like a big accomplishment to me to to be able to work within this cultural production context of Hollywood to work with Hollywood actors, so to speak, and to to use the mechanisms of content in media production, uh, like the idea of a film shoot or a casting call, um, and play with all these different tools that media producers are using to create a subjective perspective or affect um, in the media that they're producing, whether it's TV, or the news. I was thinking a lot about how more and more national news, uh, the anchors that you're seeing aren't really journalists anymore. They're, they're performers. Um, and their, their job is to usually dr dramatize and, uh, spectacularize the news, which I, I feel like there's a, there's an inherent contradiction there and a, a problem there that I guess is one of the things I was exploring with that project. Similarly, in Devil You Know, actors deliver the AI text in ways that challenge your perception of that text in odd but fundamental ways. In a representation of authority in which there is none, we watch the actors deliver the information which we want to understand if not believe. We're wired for facts. It's fundamental to our survival. But while the impulse to believe is baked into our primal DNA, after all, you ignore your fellow cave person's warning that the new fire stick will burn you at the risk of scorched fingers, we are also conditioned to very particular social norms that we, floating in our little bubbles, take as truths. Um, I think there, there are huge sort of cultural factors that are really difficult to escape um, for anyone when you when you grow up in, let's say, an American cultural environment, 
um, there's all kinds of propaganda and American ideological sentiment that uh, you're fully immersed in and often relatively blind to. And these things have an effect on your psyche on some level. And I think that their effects are largely inescapable. And that doesn't mean that you can't recognize them and consciously consider them and how they're influencing you uh, and make decisions accordingly. But I just think it's impossible to say, oh, I'm not affected by these things. These things don't influence how I see the world. After five and a half years of disinformation campaigns from a demagogue that nearly destroyed our democracy, and while he may not yet be done if his enablers and followers have their way, Edler's piece hits a very raw nerve. We all know about AI, we all know about deep fakes, but Devil You Know lays bare the frightening reality of their unreality. The project very much is about these really complicated, abstract uh, qualities that you're referencing, like uh, deep fakes and um, the idea of the echo chamber and how all these different cultural and social influences uh, have these effects on us that are invisible and we can't see them directly, but maybe we can feel their, their shadows um, that they sort of project indirectly. Uh, but at the same time, the, while the project is about that, um, I feel like the project is very much felt on a, on a more emotional or affect level um, through the way that this complex information is being presented by uh, living human actors. And I, I think it, to me, it, it almost operates like a kind of a magic trick um, or an optical illusion, rather, where um, it's like pulling a fast one on you. Uh, it, it's kind of like overwhelming you with this complicated, nonsensical dialogue, but uh, still eliciting a kind of basic human emotional connection and response uh, to the actors and to the characters. And I, I think that that sort of, uh, yeah, I, I think of it as a magic trick is, is the core of the project. Um, and it, I think it's a really dark concept to be playing with. I, I could easily see this, the same tool or same mechanism or process being utilized in a really sinister way. Um, and that's mm -hmm. maybe one of my big concerns about even making a project like this. Uh, but I'm not the first person to figure that out. And the people that want to do that are already doing it um, and have mm -hmm. been doing it for a long time. So uh, right. it's to me, this project was ultimately not trying to, to make a, a concrete statement one way or another. Um, to me, it felt more like an abstract mirroring of the cultural environment that I'm experiencing as a person living in America. Watching the film, I was thinking about the power of the AI software called GPT-3 that it's built around. I wanted to know more about that technology and the unshakable impression it leaves of a coming automated overlord. Yeah, uh, so GPT-3 is, um, it's got a long, complicated technical name, but basically it's its what's called a language model. Um, and it's a a deep learning based neural network, which is kind of the, the, the cutting edge, cut it or bleeding edge of, um, current, uh, AI technology. I, I don't like the term AI, artificial intelligence. I think it's a little bit disingenuous. Um, these things aren't artificially intelligent. They're just 
very efficient um, sort of data set processors uh, that are able to very quickly take in a lot of information and uh, output something that looks close enough to human language that it's believable to the average reader. Um, and GPT-3 was developed by OpenAI, which is a San Francisco-based, San Francisco uh, quote-unquote, artificial intelligence research company. Uh, and it's, GPT-3 is, is sort of, it came out last year and it, it made the headlines because it has this massive, massive data set that it was trained on. Um, I think it's 175 billion parameters. Uh, so 175 billion different data points. Um, and it basically the way that works is it's a giant network of information and the information you feed it sort of teaches it or they call it training. Um, and based on that, uh, it's able to generate, auto-generate new content or new text. Um, and GPT-3, I think the the data set that was used to train it or the corpus includes all of Wikipedia plus um, countless novels and uh, also, like, content that was just pulled from people blogging and posting messages on message boards on the Internet. Uh, so it has a pretty comprehensive data set. Uh, that being said, it's, it's quite limited in, in the fact that I think most of the data set was English and presumably produced from a largely Western audience. So that introduces a massive kind of uh, bias into the, the the algorithm itself. All it's ever known, uh, largely speaking, was English Western language. So it it's definitely deficient in many ways, but it, it served a useful purpose for this project. It was developed by OpenAI, which is the company's name, but it was never, to my knowledge, open source, which is a technical term for a piece of software that anyone can access or edit. Um, it wasn't that. It was always private, proprietary uh, technology owned outright by OpenAI. And um, they had this weird beta testing period where you could apply to get access to it. Um, and to my understanding, access was extremely limited, um, mostly to people already working in the artificial intelligence development uh, sector. And that's mostly really high-level uh, computer science people uh, and software engineers. And I was able to get access to it one day through a friend um, who had access to one of these research teams, and uh, they had access to the API. Uh, so when I got wind of this, uh, I was really curious about this project and uh, or this, this piece of software. So I reached out to my friend, and they were nice enough to allow me to come to their office and work in their office for six hours to use the API. Um, so I had kind of, you know, some like backdoor access to it for six hours. Mm -hmm. um, and in that time, I was able to produce a 40,000 word script, um, which was the basis for this video. Um, and the working process is if you have access to the API, it's just like, basically sending an email or talking to a chat bot. Um, there's a little window, you type into it, and you hit the generate button. And basically it takes whatever you typed into it, it studies the the stylistic um, 
and the syntactic sort of uh, language that you're using, and it it extrapolates from there, and it can quite effectively replicate your own speaking writing style and basically continue to write for you in your own voice, um, which is completely mind blowing when you actually get to use it. I was I was really floored by it once I sat with it for a few hours and saw how quickly it learned the way that I think and the way that I write. It's it's it is creating you know uh what they call novel content um or original content, but it's doing so in the the person operating its voice. So copywriters are an endangered species. But while the technology is fascinating, the prescience of Edler's piece insinuates a much darker future. One of the things that inspired the project was was envisioning this sort of nightmare scenario where technology like GPT-3 is used um, in a couple of different ways, but simultaneously to fully synthetically produce any any kind of media, any kind of news media. And um, by that I mean... GPT-3 is writing the script. Something like Dolly is producing images or characters. Another similar program is uh, editing all of this together, and then another program is publishing it onto the Internet. Um, and before you know it, the Internet is just flooded with all of the synthetic content um, to the point that you can't even find any human-created content anymore, and you just drown in this abyss of, nonsense, non-real synthetic media, and, you know, suddenly you're you're living in a kind of true post-truth era where you can't even find the truth anymore, um, right. and nothing is real. Uh, I mean, I think that's a bit of a hyperbolic uh, science fiction prompt scenario, and I don't think we'll, we're quite there yet, but uh, it is one of the the maybe concerns that inspired this project originally. The project also has a clunky kind of auto-generated feel. Edler has edited and used purposely hand-fisted filters to make the piece feel as if it could go on producing all that thoughtful, engaging gibberish forever. Edler thinks about language as a technology unto itself, or at least as a tool and by extension a specific kind of power. I was curious whether there might be a biblical reference in his title, Devil You Know, in that Adam got to name all the animals and all the flora and fauna, and that by giving names to all the things, he gained a power over them. A power that, of course, all goes to shit when the devil serpent guy shows up. But Edler, having given up the script entirely to the algorithm, had me fooled. That's a fascinating observation. I um I I don't think too much about uh sort of that the kind of Christian uh religious mythology that you're talking about. Um other than its its presence in Western culture is so widely and deeply felt. Um and I think that that's that's where it it comes out in the video because remember the the script for the project, Devil You Know was entirely generated by GPT-3. Um, and that's, again, where this algorithm is so powerful and so fascinating to me um, as both a technology and a cultural 
product that I'm, I'm interested in, in working with and studying and exploring as an artist. Um, but so yeah, getting back to your question, uh, I was quite taken back by that line. I, uh, and it was sort of speaking in reference to capitalism. There, there is this sort of like critique of capitalism embedded throughout the work. Um, and that was something that I was trying to guide through my prompts. Um, and I think I was able to incorporate that, but a lot of, again, all of the text generated by GPT-3, and I, I was really interested in this this line around the devil you know. Um, I thought it was like a beautifully poetic uh, reference to this relatively common saying um, that I, I felt like would work well in the project. Um, and I, I think if that line itself is the product of the the cultural influence on the algorithm of the material that it was trained on. Um, mm-hmm. So the algorithm being trained on all these these Western texts, English texts, uh, there's a lot of Christian ideology and a lot of Christian mythology embedded in that. Um, and that is then expressed through the uh, output of the algorithm. Um, so I, I just enjoyed that line. I thought it was quite, you know, well written. Um, if you can even say that about something written by an algorithm. Uh, so yeah, I, I wasn't thinking about the devil, so to speak, uh, but the algorithm was. Um, and I think that that's the, the profound thing about this project. Edler no longer has access to GPT-3, so I wondered what he might be up to next and whether his explorations into AI would continue. There are some problems with this idea of working with artificial intelligence. If you're familiar with the genre, um, there, there's a lot of valid critiques around it. Um, there's everything from, you know, exploitative labor practices, um, exploitative instances of appropriation, and also uh, the biggest issues, potentially the, the way that these cultural biases are um, absorbed into the artificial intelligence systems by virtue of the fact that their originating data sets are deeply flawed, um, often racist, um, and sort of contain all these problems that make the entire uh, project of working with artificial intelligence uh, dubious. And for that reason, I'm, I'm aware of these things, and I'm, I'm also critical of them, and I, I don't necessarily think that it's the most productive space for me to be working in moving forward. Uh, that being said, uh, I am interested in a lot of these themes around the way that language and technology interface um, and, and how they affect the way we are uh, experiencing media in the 21st century. So I, the next projects will likely have at least an echo of some of the themes that I explored um, in this video and in the previous video, the production of information. You've been listening to H.E. Geiger Presents, Tales from the L.A. Art Underworld. My guest tonight has been the artist Don Edler. 
I, for one, am very interested to find out what Edler will explore in the coming year, and I urge you to watch Devil You Know. It's at huntershawfineart.com, and you can also check out Edler's own website at donedler.com. So that's D-O-N-E-D-L-E-R.com, and you can follow him at Instadontron on Instagram. E.G. Geiger Presents is produced by me, Michael Delgado, in conjunction with the Mayfair Hotel LA, the Music and Artist Management Company, Regime 72, and A.G. Geiger Fine Art Books. Check us out, MayfairLA.com, Regime72.com, and of course, A.G. Geiger.com. Thanks for listening.